Um, <laughs> it's an interesting transition to come right out of talking about school shootings and into my sermon. I had a more upbeat introduction plan, but I think I'm going to change pace just a little bit this morning. You know, I in my prayer, some of you may have been a little caught off guard. I said we want to pray for the victims, but we also want to pray for somebody who's broken enough to do that. And um, maybe that's not what you want to do. I understand that. Maybe you don't want to pray for somebody who would do that. They've already cast their lot and said, I'm evil. But I think we've got to get to a place where our heart is prepared to pray for the victim and the perpetrator in the same breath with the same sincerity. And then maybe when we get to that point, we're starting to live the life that Jesus talked about and the life that Jesus lived. So I'll be perfectly honest with you, it's hard for me to pray prayers like that sometimes. Um, but that's just evidence that I'm not fully mature in my faith yet. And so um, if that's where you're at today, I want to challenge you uh, to grow in that respect and, and to begin to pray uh, for somebody who's broken enough to do something like that. Now, I guess I still have to make that smooth transition from a heavy topic to one that I am really excited about. Next week, we're going to begin a new sermon series that's going to take us through Easter. And I just wanted to call it Jesus Redeemer. And what we're going to do over these next five weeks is look at the miracles that Jesus performed. Some of the incredible things that Jesus did on, during his time on earth. But we're not just going to look at those and say, wow, that's a really great uh, circus style event. Because that's not why Jesus performed his miracles either. We're going to look at why Jesus did the things that he did and we're going to study that for five weeks, but as excited as I am about this sermon series, I'm just as excited about the opportunity that all of us have to dig deeper into the sermon content together. How many of you have heard that we are doing spring small groups? Five weeks, spring small groups. I was going to say, you should all be raising your hands because Luke just gave that information a couple minutes ago. You all passed the test. Okay, very good. Uh, but I am so excited about five weeks of spring small groups. And, and here's what we're going to have the opportunity to do. We're going to dig deeper into that sermon content. Now, I don't know how often this has ever happened to you, but a lot of times when I listen to a sermon, I have a question. I have a question, and, and when I sit in a classroom, I can just raise my hand and go, I have a question. How many of you feel comfortable asking your questions to me while I'm preaching? <laughs> Put your hands down. <laughs> what we have the opportunity to do during these five-week spring small groups is ask those questions to dig deeper and to find those answers together to look at the life of Jesus in a profound way and develop some new friendships along the way. So five weeks of spring small groups. They're starting not this coming week, but the week after. We've got a meeting all over Washington County and into Orange County. And if you haven't signed up for one of those, I want to encourage you to do that today because it's going to be a fantastic time. All right, um, but that's, that's next week and that's the week after. I'm really excited about it. I think you should be too, and I think you should fill up that, that uh, sign-up sheet, those sign-up sheets this morning. But we've got one more week on the topic of money. And I just want you to know that I, I've been preaching to myself this month 
um, and you guys have just been listening in. I've been really convicted about this. Um, I, a lot of things, a lot of silly little things that, that I've realized that I do financially that I just need to cut out. Like, for example, how many of you buy bottles of water from the gas station sometimes? I do that really regularly. And can you imagine a less intelligent thing to do? Because you know what I have at home? I have this really incredible device. I don't know, maybe you have one of these too. I have this really incredible device. You just turn this knob like this, and you know what comes out? Water. And I've got these other things at my house. They're little containers. And you just set it underneath that thing right there, and then you turn the knob like that, and then the water doesn't just go down into the sink. It goes into this container. And I've got some of them. Some of them are so fancy, they've even got lids on them. And I can screw the lid on, and then I can take this container full of water with me, and I don't have to spend $2 at the gas station every day on water. I've learned that I don't need to do that. That's a silly thing that I do, and I do some other things that are a little bit more serious, and I've been convicted to pay attention to what I'm doing with the resources God has entrusted to me more this month. And I know some of you have been too. I've heard some really encouraging things. Some of you have said, well, I'm going to stop doing this three times a week, and then the, the money that I would have spent on that, I'm going I'm to donate Instead, I'm going to add that to my tithe. I've been so encouraged to hear some of you say things like that, and I know a lot of you have been thinking things like that. So I want you to give yourselves a round of applause this morning for enduring this sermon series. Now, a little while ago, Chris and Junior, they explained uh, that we are going to have a new platform for giving, online giving. It's going to start today. You can donate that way today if you'd like to. And I think they did a really good job. You guys think they did a good job with that? I think they had fun up there. I'm always a little worried when I put Chris in front of people with words that <laughs> he's supposed <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, I want you to know something. Um, we're, we're still going to give the, the, the offering plates every week. We're still going to pass those things. So if, if you're not interested in online giving, that's great. Don't do it. We don't want you to have to adapt to anything. There's no need to conform. We just want to offer a new format, okay? Um, but I want you to know something. I'm not going to talk about online giving for more than like another 30 seconds because that's not what I'm here to preach about. We introduced this idea to the board at the beginning of the year and then the February board meeting we said, okay, everything's ready to roll. We've got all systems go. We've tested it. Everything's ready. And since our February board meeting, when it became fully operational, members of the church board have committed to give over $49,000 this year. They've committed over $49,000 this year. Now, I don't know which board members those are. I don't know how many board members have committed that. And frankly, I don't want to know. I don't need to know. Okay, let me just share my heart with you. I don't want to treat you differently based on how much you give. So I'm never going to know what anybody gives here. That's my heart on the issue. I know some preachers know. I don't ever want to know. Okay, uh, but what I do want you to know is something very specific about that number. Generosity isn't something that the church leadership is asking of you. Generosity isn't something that the church leadership is asking you to do. Generous is something that we all want to be together. 
We all want to be generous together. Together, we want to submit ourselves to Jesus, proclaiming that he is our Lord. Together, we want to admit to God that nothing is more important to us than him. And together, we want to strengthen our relationships with God by doing what the Bible says about money. We want to do what the Bible says about money and have a stronger relationship with God because of it. That's been our goal for this sermon series. You've heard me say it every week. We want to strengthen our relationship with God by learning what the Bible has to say about money. Now we know what the Bible has to say about money. We just got to do it. Okay, so let me remind you. Here's what the Bible has to say about money. First of all, realize it's not yours. Realize it's not yours. It's God's. He's just entrusted it to you. Second, be generous. And the last one, give a tithe give a tithe. That's what we've said so far in our sermons this month. We started with the parable of the talents. The master goes away on a journey, and he entrusts his riches to three faithful servants. Then we looked at the parable of the rich fool. He built bigger barns, and he didn't give a second thought to any of the people who live in his community. We learned that we got to be generous. And last week, as we studied the story and the life of Abraham, we learned the importance and the significance of giving a tithe. We learned that when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. It was a sign of submission. And that when we tithe, we are making or giving a sign of submission to Jesus as our Lord. This week, I want to add one more thing to that list because I know that you have four blanks and you've only filled in three. So some of you are going a little crazy. I want to, I want to fill in that fourth one here for you real quick. Okay, ready? We have to keep money in its proper place. We have to keep money in its proper place. And here's what I mean. Uh, a lot of people think cash is king. You ever heard somebody say that? Cash is king. Money can buy everything you want. You can have luxury. You can have influence. If that's what you're after, money is what you need. It speaks every language on the planet. Money will get you what you want. Cash is in control. Cash is king. And that's an incorrect extreme, right? I think we can all agree on that. It's a pretty obvious one, but because of that, some people go to the opposite extreme. These people say, well, money is monstrous. Money's monstrous. We shouldn't have any money at all because it is dangerous. These people are fond of quoting the phrase, money is the root of all evil. And those are two extremes. I think our understanding needs to be based on what Jesus has to say on the subject. And here's what he says. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth eat them and then rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now, I want to be honest with you. This passage has been used a lot over the years to call people to live lives of voluntary poverty. Right? This, don't store for yourselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust are going to destroy them there. Thieves are going to break in and steal. Said, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And once you give all of your stuff to us, and you will live a life of poverty, and poverty is godly. That's not what this passage is saying. Money isn't sinful. Money isn't sinful. But it is dangerous. It's not sinful, but it is dangerous. Here's what I mean. 
uh, interact with me just a little bit. How many of you would have or would like to have enough money that you could fix something that went wrong on your vehicle? I mean, you'd like to fix something. I would like that. If something goes wrong in my vehicle, if I left here today and the transmission on my truck went out, I'd, I'd be pretty happy to have enough money to be able to fix that. How many of you would like to have enough money to be able to replace your furnace if it broke? Yeah, especially this time of year. It's a little chilly out still. How many of you would have or would like to have enough money to make sure your kids get to go to college? Seems like a good goal, right? None of those things are bad things. All right, does anybody think that any of those things I just asked about are bad things? I guess it depends on which college I want to go to, right? <laughs> None of those things are bad things. I want enough money for those things too, but we've got to be careful. Here's why. It's easy to trust money. We understand how it works, right? We, we get it. There's a, a financial transaction. It's a very basic quid pro quo, something for something. I want something, so I hand over money and I acquire that something. Here's the danger. The more we rely on money, the more we trust money, the less we trust God. The more we trust money, the less we trust God. Here's my proof. Once, a religious leader asked Jesus this question. He said, good teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not commit adultery. You must not murder. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely, honor your father and mother. The man replied, yeah, 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 I've obeyed all of those commandments since I was young. Jesus said, there's still one thing that you haven't done. Sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When the rich man heard this, he became very sad, for he was very rich. Now, what's going on in this story? Because one of the things that we hear, this is the other primary text that says, see, you've got to be poor to be a follower of Jesus. You've got to give away all your stuff, and then go follow Jesus. It's not that the man had to give away all of his stuff. This is the only place in the Bible where it says, give away all of your things as a, as a commandment. Why? It's not because you have to, it's because that was the major barrier between that man and a healthy relationship with God. So Jesus confronted it. He said, you need to repent of this area of your life. This guy's a pretty good guy, right? He's, he's a pretty good guy. He's kept the commandments since his childhood. Right? If I asked who's done that, I'm not raising my hand. I've tried. He's been a good commandment keeper. He honored Jesus as he spoke to him. This is a pretty good guy. But there was something that was keeping him from God. He loved his wealth, and he loved the things that his wealth could do for him. And because this man loved the things that his wealth could do for him, he wasn't able to trust God more than his money. You hear that? He wasn't able to trust God more than his money. Jesus says, give away your money and come follow me. That's what's going to be best for you. And this man says, I don't think that's what's going to be best for me. Jesus, I, I know you're good. You're a good teacher. But I'm going to stick with my money. and Not you. He loved his money more than he loved God. Jesus responded by saying, how hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? 
In fact, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. All right, I'm going to stop here. As I have this hobby horse, I guess maybe it's a pet peeve here. Okay, I'm going to address it this morning. In the ancient world, there was a gate. It was specifically designed for camels to go through. It was called the needle's eye gate. And it was purposely designed so that the camel would have to get down on his knees and then like scoot in. And it was very difficult to train a camel to go through this needle's eye gate. And it, 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 was, it took a long time to train him and then utilize that gate. And, and so a lot of people have said, okay, So what they're saying is it's difficult for a person to get into heaven if they're rich, just like it's difficult for a camel to learn how to go through the needles I gate. No, that's not what this text is saying. That's not what this text is saying. Because here's here's how I know that, ready? This is how I know that. Because Jesus said, or those who heard him said, well, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus said, what is impossible for people is possible with God. What is impossible for people is possible with God. Jesus has this idea of a camel going through the eye of a needle. It's ridiculous. It's impossible, right? It's impossible for man, but it's not impossible for God. Another translation says it this way, with man this is impossible, but with God nothing is impossible. It's possible for a camel to go through the needle's gate. It's not possible for a person who doesn't trust God to enter the kingdom of heaven. Let me say that again, ready? It's not possible for a person who doesn't trust God to enter the kingdom of God. But here's the thing, you ready? You know who else can't enter the kingdom of God? Me. I can't enter the kingdom of God. You can't enter the kingdom of God. Neither can the people in Vernon Township or Washington County or Indiana or the people of America or the people that live on this tiny little planet. It's impossible because we're all sinners who have fallen short of the glory of God. With man, it's impossible. But with God, nothing is impossible. Money can be dangerous. Money is dangerous. But you know what else is dangerous? Food. Clothing. Television. Sports. Anything can be dangerous. Scott Nichol is a teaching pastor at Southland Christian Church in Lexington. Here's how he says this. He says, if you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it will become a destructive thing. If you make a good thing an ultimate thing, it will become a destructive thing. Money's a good thing. Money's a good thing. Does anybody disagree with that? Money's a good thing. I want you to interact with me here just a little bit this morning. What are some things that we could do with money that would be good? Just give me some answers. What do you think we could do with money that would be good? Support missions. I'm not surprised to hear that from you, but you're right. Absolutely, we can support missions all over the world, all over the county. We can support missions. What else can we do with money that would be a good thing? We could feed the homeless. That sounds like a pretty good idea to me, right? 
So off the top of my head, we could, we could help Wonder Valley build a new facility so that they can house more campers during the summer, right? What else could we do with money? Surely there's not just three good uses for money, right? We could help care, get some new resources and curriculum. We could give to the food bank. We could donate to the women's shelter. The list of good things that we can do with money is almost endless. Money's a good thing. But if we let money take God's place in our lives, all of a sudden it's not a good thing anymore. It's a destructive thing. See, we've got to keep money in its proper place. We've got to keep money in its proper place. That's the bottom line on what the Bible says about money. If you look at those first three things at the top, I said there's, there's four things that we're going to learn about money this month from the Bible. Right? Be generous, realize it's not yours, give a tithe. Those are good things. But the bottom line on what the Bible has to say about money is we've got to keep money in its proper place. See that, off quote, that often quoted text that says money is the root of all evil? It actually reads this way. But people who long to be rich, long to be rich, people who don't have money in its proper place, those people, they fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, it's money not in its proper place, is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, we're starting to see a pattern, what happens to them? Have wandered from the truth and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Here's how I want to sum that up. Money is a problem when we want it more than God. Money is a problem when we want it more than God. Pretty simple, right? I want to show you what Paul has to say just a little bit later in that chapter. He says to Timothy, he says, Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust their money. Don't put your money in the wrong place. Money is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives all we need. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need. Kind of sounds a lot like what you all were saying. Always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now hold on, that sounds kind of similar to what Jesus said. Store for yourself treasures in heaven, right? Paul now says if you do these things, if you're generous, if you give to those who are needy, you will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation. Those things sound pretty familiar. How many of you think that's a pretty good instructional passage on money? Which seems to have some pretty good foundational principles, but I get it. I'm going to meet you at your objection. You're going, Tony, just read your Bible a little bit more carefully. It says, teach those who are rich in this world. Teach those who are rich. Teach those who are really loaded. Teach those who have private yachts and their own planes. Teach those who live in million-dollar mansions to be wealthy in this life. Hey, Bill Gates, open up your Bible to 1 Timothy 6.17 and start reading. 
this passage is for the top 2%, right? I did some research this week. I decided to try something new. I did some research this week, and I stumbled across this website called globalrichlist.com. What it does is it takes income levels, and it compares them with the rest of the world. So when I found this website, I went, oh, this is great. So I went over to the Census Bureau website, and I grabbed some data about Washington County. Average income for a head of household in Washington County is about 35000 about 35000 a year. So I went back to Global Rich List, and I input 35000 a year. Here's what I learned. That salary, if you earn $35,000 a year, that puts you in the top 0.81% of all wage earners on the planet. The top 0.81%. You're going, yeah, that's great, but that's the whole world, Tony. we got to have that wealth in context. It's not, it's not less, it's not a whole bunch of money if you look at it in the context of what it costs to live in the U.S. Well, you're right. You know what, though? God's interested in the United States to the same degree that he's interested in the rest of the world. God's interested in the United States to the same degree that he's interested in the rest of the world. We are that top 2%. Let me give you some statistics to go with this. $35,000 a year is about $18 an hour, roughly. The average laborer in Zimbabwe earns 53 cents an hour. You'll make $35,000 by the time the clock strikes 2019. That same worker in Zimbabwe will make $35,000 by 2052. I got one more for you. The monthly income of someone who makes $35,000 a year would pay the monthly salaries of 152 doctors in Kyrgyzstan. We talk about... 1 Timothy chapter 6 being for the rich people. I need you to understand something. To 99% of the world, 1 Timothy 6 is for us. Here's what Paul says. He says, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust their money because it's so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all that we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those who are in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they'll be storing up their treasures as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. That's for us. I want you to, I want you to think about that. I want you to read that passage a couple more times this week. It's 1 Timothy chapter 6. We'll start in verse 17, read through verse 19. But today I want to make one more observation from that text. Do you see in verse 17, it says, don't put your trust in money because it's so what? Don't put your trust in money because it's so what? Unreliable. It's so unreliable. Here's the irony. People trust money to relieve their fears, but it just creates new ones. People trust money to relieve their fears, but it just creates new ones. It's so unreliable. Jesus says that moth and rust will destroy your wealth. All right. You're coming back with me and you're saying, moth and rust? That's 
<laughs> I'm not worried about my, my wealth being destroyed by moth and rust. I grant the point. I grant the point. That's not how wealth would be destroyed today. In fact, I think if Jesus were to quote that today, he'd say it a little bit differently. He'd say, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where markets crash and bubbles burst where inflation rises exponentially. Instead, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where markets don't crash and where bubbles don't burst and where inflation isn't a thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does anybody know what happened on October 29th, 1929? Anybody know what happened? Go ahead and shout it out if you know. Yeah, it's called Black Tuesday. It's the day that the stock market took its deepest dive. Right? The, the, the decline had already started, but Black Tuesday is when things bottomed out and it went from bad to unbearable. Stock market completely crashed. People lost everything they owned. People lost everything they owned that day, and instead of going home, many of them chose to jump out the windows of their high-rise offices. It was an incredible tragedy for the nation, for everybody in this country. But I want you to see something here. Those men who jumped out their windows, they lost everything they owned, but they didn't have to lose their lives. Let me say that one more time. Ready? Those men lost everything they owned, but they didn't have to lose their lives. What happened? They could have gone home to their families. They could have started over. Sure, there would have been tears. Sure, they would have had to have made hard choices and decisions and their lifestyles would have changed. But they didn't have to lose their lives. Why did they? It's because they put their trust in money. They stored up for themselves treasures on earth. Moth and rust destroyed and thieves broken and stole from them. They stored up for themselves treasures on earth. Here's what I want you to know about keeping money in its proper place. Right? If you synthesize my message down into to one point, here's what you need to know about making sure you keep money in its proper place. Two sentences. First of all, seeking money at all costs will ultimately cost you everything. Seeking money at all costs will ultimately cost you everything. Here's the flip side of that coin. Seeking God at all costs will ultimately give you everything you need. Got to keep money in its proper place. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So today I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to trust God more than anything else. Some of you may need to make that commitment financially. I think you should. Not because the church wants your money. We don't want you, we don't want you to give just because we want money. I've been joking about uh, a Corvette and Italian marble. That's nonsense. I've just been having fun with you. We don't want you to give so we can have nice things. We want you to give so that you can have a stronger relationship with God. So will you commit to the tithe today so that you can have that stronger relationship with God? If you look at the last line of your insert, there's a question. It says, what do I need to do to trust God today? 
For some of you, that's going to mean trusting him financially. If that's you, I want you to write this down. I need to trust God financially. Just write it right there on the bottom of your bulletin. There's an easy way to start doing it. Give God the first 10%. It's your admission that you're under his authority. And it's your demonstration that you trust him. Some of you need to trust God financially. For some of us, we need to learn to trust God eternally. Some of us need to say that I trust God for my eternity. We all wrestle with the question. I'm a sinner. I've done things that are bad. Can I be forgiven? Can I be sure that God will love me and allow me into heaven when I die? And I just don't know the answer. Here's the truth. We can be forgiven because we serve a radically generous God. We serve a God that loves us so much that He gave His only Son, His beloved Son, to pay for our sins. And if you need to trust God for your salvation, here's what I want you to write on the bottom of your insert. I need to trust God eternally. If that's you, that's what you've written on your paper, then I think this morning what you need to do is make the commitment to follow Him in baptism. I think you need to make that commitment today. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing a song and you'll have the opportunity to come forward and, and, and do whatever it is that you've written on the bottom of your paper. But if you've written something this morning, don't let that go. Follow through on that. But now I want us to stand and sing together.